Welcome back to Truth and Reason. I'm Chris Kramer. Thank you for joining me in these studies through Philippians. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be finishing up this chapter and looking at verses 16 through 21 and discuss the topic of being conformed. Uh, Previously, Paul spoke of not having attained perfection in our last study, but pressing toward it. Uh, not that it was something that couldn't be attained, as you know, God has told us in Scripture that we must uh, walk worthy of the calling, we must strive for perfection, and we define perfection as uh, a completeness that we have in the Lord. And so tonight, when we look at verses 16 and following, he goes back to the point that uh, you know we haven't attained the big goal yet. Uh, Certainly, we can have that blessed assurance in the Lord. Certainly, we can take confidence in the faith that we do have. But I think we'd all agree that from the time we were obedient to God through baptism into Christ, uh, that we didn't know it all. Uh, People, I think, struggle a lot with the idea that they need to be perfect before they even become a Christian. And that's just not possible. You cannot be perfect or complete uh, without Jesus Christ. So we all begin at a certain point. Now, you may think that you're knowledgeable about God, uh, God's Word, or the Bible. A lot of people are knowledgeable. I mean, Satan can quote Scripture, and uh, so can a lot of the world. When you look at people that are out there in what they call theology, uh, there are a lot of very intelligent people who know the Bible, but they have not yet come to the truth. And so when you look at measuring your faith, God has always taught us through Scripture to be fair in the measurements that we use. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, 13 and following is a reference to that in regard to the you know honesty that we should have in our daily dealings. But are we honest with ourselves? Where is our faith? And, and I also see a lot of people that want to get this idea that you know they're not uh, worthy enough or And I appreciate the humility, don't get me wrong, but I think a lot of people sell themselves short in the fact that they just want to be the worm. They want to be nothing better and more knowledgeable in dirt, whereas everything that God writes to us in his scripture through his prophets and holy apostles is about growing in knowledge and gaining in knowledge. And at some point in your life, you've got to look at your life and say, Yes, I'm growing, I'm gaining, and it's it's exciting. It's a wonderful uh, path that we are on with the Lord, that we can have this hope for more faith. And we should all have the confidence to say, hey, I I have more faith than I did than when I first started out. That's the goal. That's what God wants us to do. So we can't revert back. You look at just a list. Now, I'll, I'll give a few passages to you, though we won't have time to turn to them all. But when Paul says, nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let's talk about that degree. First off, there is one faith. Uh, let's make that very clear. We're talking about the Word of God, as Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 teaches us. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So that's our source. That's where we have to go to, to, to you know, have access to this faith. 
1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30 talks about a weak faith. And there are folks, as you know, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he, he has a lot to say about their, their troubled state. But at the same time, he considers them saints. At the same time, he considers them brethren with a hope of you know, eternal life. He talks about you know, putting on the new man and being a new creature in this relationship we have with Christ. And he's warning them, don't go back to what you were before. So there are people with weak faith. And I'm not saying that that's a goal that's good enough to get you into heaven. But when we have that knowledge and understanding that we need to grow and we need to do better, then certainly we have a responsibility to do so. And there are many that have reverted back, you know, in their faith. Maybe they've lost their faith. And I'm talking about your belief, okay? You have the faith, which is the Word of God, and then you have your belief in the faith, which is, you know, your faith. At what measure do you consider yourself at today? What measure do others consider yourself at today as well? Matthew 6, verses 30 through 33, talks about little faith. You know, I think about the example of Peter walking on the water and when Jesus said to him, oh, you have little faith. Uh, and I'm not disagreeing with the Lord at all. I'm just saying, isn't it ironic that he just said that to a man that actually got out of a boat and actually walked on water? And one of the greatest examples that I believe we see of faith is when he did begin to sink, yet he looked to the Lord and said, Lord, save me. And of course, you know, I think Jesus was just putting that into perspective that, you know, he, he doesn't need to lose that faith, that great faith that got him out of a boat to walk on the water. Uh, you know, why lose that by the fear of the storms of life around you? I think there's a lot of analogies that we can gain and learn from that particular example. It's always been one of my favorite ones in, in Scripture because Peter did a lot of amazing things in his faith in the Lord. But at the same time, he did some very distinctly opposite things of his faith, denying Jesus, for instance, and not trusting in Jesus uh, when Jesus, you know, assured him uh, that things would be okay. But anyway, we could talk about you know, Peter quite a bit, but let's talk about faith, and let's talk about the fact that as the Corinthians were in danger, uh, there could be a dead faith that was there. And so this gets back to, you know, and you can read 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30. As I said, we're going to have a few cross-references. We won't have time uh, to turn to those pages in this study. But um, it just goes to show that, yes, someone could lose their faith. That's argued quite a bit uh, among Calvinistic people who uh, take scriptures and say, you know, once I'm in Christ, there's nothing that can take me away. And... Um, that doesn't, it doesn't negate the power of Jesus Christ, but Christ is not going to save you in spite of yourself. I know that those are things that people like to hang on to and, and, and feel that I'm just lowly and I'm just a worm and you know the Lord's going to save me. And that just shows his love and his mercy. Well, his, his plan of salvation shows his love and his mercy, but he has the expectations of us to live righteously in his sight. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. Nobody's going to sit back and say, I'm perfect in every way. But the Lord here in his, you know, talks about great faith in Matthew 17 and verse 20. And, and the great faith of those that trusted in Jesus, even when we know they were imperfect human beings. Jesus said, you have a great faith. He doesn't say, it's not saying, you know, you're perfect and that 
you know, you automatically get a home in heaven and you automatically get a home in heaven. Uh, but he's saying that's the kind of faith that we need to lean on and live by. And so Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, a scripture we refer to quite often in our studies, especially when we studied Ephesians, and it's come up a time or two in our Philippians study, is a working faith. And that's what we're trying to describe here, because getting back to verse 16, the, the text for our lesson, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, we need to look at the degree, the level, or the measurement of faith that we are at and say, this is where we're at, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to do more. And I can never look at myself in this physical life and say, I've reached you know, the ceiling and the epitome of, of faith. You can be in Christ. And again, I'm not saying these things so that we can just kind of hold back and, and take it easy and say, well, if I don't have to be perfect, I'm not going to strive for perfection. That's exactly the opposite of what our last lesson taught us. We must strive and press on to perfection. That's the only way to attain your various levels of faith. But again, I might be confusing some when they look at faith. I mean, faith isn't just coming in at certain levels and say, I'm at level one or I'm at level two or whatever it might be. It's, it's not like that. It's growing in maturity in the Lord. And I've known Christians for many, many years who have grown and matured in the Lord, and I've known others for many, many years who have digressed and in some cases have fallen away and in some cases just grow stagnant where they never learn and they never grow. Remember that uh, Paul's letters, especially, uh, to the Philippians, the Colossians, there's a, there's a certain theme that you'll find throughout those, those short epistles. And his prayers for them was that they would grow in the knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. That's what he prayed for. He was desperate for them to, to grow and to know more. They already knew. They were already Christians. They already knew the faith. They were obedient to that fact, and Paul uh, joyed. He took great joy in the Philippians in particular, in the, the faith that they had. He says, I want you to do more, abound in these things. Going back to the Corinthian brethren, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 9 through 10, is kind of a same connection that we have to the second part of verse 16. And you'll be familiar with this passage because we've read it many, many times. But let's read verse 16, where he says, again, nevertheless, to the, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. There's the connection of the common faith that we have. Whereas we were talking a few moments ago about an individual's faith and growing in understanding and knowledge, now he's saying here, we, as 1 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10, be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment, because your fellowship is in Jesus Christ. Now, I think that's what he's saying here in, in chapter 3 and verse 16 of Philippians. That whatever level we have obtained in our, our faith, our understanding, our belief, um, we need to be on the same page. We need to walk by the same rule. We need to be of the same mind. We need to share in the same knowledge and if you have somebody that has a greater knowledge and understanding, they're going to impart that to others that do not. And once they do, then you know it. And once you know it, you have a responsibility to, to live by it. So don't look at it as a competition. <laughs> don't look at it as, you know, somebody has more faith. I, I've seen people say, I can never have the faith that you have. Yes, you can. 
you know, if, if you attribute somebody, you know, and their knowledge to their faith, uh, the good way that they live and their conduct in this life, if you're impressed with that, don't think that you can't have that. So many people live in self-pity and jealousy because they think they can't have, you know, what, what someone else does. And that's the pride of life. You know, let's get back to some basic principles. I mean, why be jealous over somebody that has a good job and makes a good living and has a certain home or you know, cars or things in life? Oftentimes, those are the things that people get jealous of. Uh, you can have those too. You just have to work for it. You have to do the things that, you know, your fellow uh, you know, brother has done in order to attain the things. And it's the same with faith. And I'm not looking at faith as just this particular, um, you know, physical manifestation to grab hold of. But don't look at your fellow brother and say, oh, they're, they're you know, they're such good people and, and you know, they, they've just grown in faith in God. I wish I could have that. This isn't a wishing game. This is something that you strive for. This is something that you work toward. And you look at those people who are mature in the faith and follow their example. And in that, no matter where level of faith you have or you think you have, we can be united. That's what these verses are teaching. It's teaching about unity. Now, getting back to the title of the lesson, I've titled it To Be Conformed. We have the pattern before us. And that pattern, of course, is Jesus Christ, ultimately. But we also have the pattern of our fellow brethren who are following that example. Look at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now, that's very important there. Again, as I said, it's not a competition. It's not about one being better than the other or outdoing someone else. It's about following the example of the patterns that you have before us. If you look at somebody and say, I really have a confidence that this person is uh, going to have a home in heaven with God someday. Well, do what they do. Follow their example. Follow their lead. Again, going back to 1 Corinthians, I was surprised in preparing for this lesson uh, how many times you can see similarities in what Paul says to the Corinthian brethren? Because they struggled. They had troubles. Yet Paul maintained the same expectations of them as he does with the Philippians. Though the Philippians, they had that unity. They're showing that unity. He's commending them for that unity, yet he's pressing upon them to keep on keeping on. Consider 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. Paul the Apostle says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, he wasn't being arrogant. He wasn't standing up and saying, you know, I'm the only one that knows the way. You need to follow me. No, he, he was putting himself out there as an example, as we all should. Because I'll tell you what, when you make a statement like that, you want to make sure you're doing it right. One of the greatest responsibilities, if not the greatest responsibility we have in teaching the gospel, is leading someone to the Lord, not astray. You get a lot of preachers and teachers in the world today that are teaching a lot of false doctrine, and I'm afraid they are condemning not only their souls, but the souls of the people that hear them. And we must be very careful. Because I know that if I teach falsely, my soul's in jeopardy for that. It's not going to let anybody off the hook for you know listening to false teaching or false words. But you have a responsibility to test these things according to Scripture. I mean, you just don't take the words of a man for face value. 
But if he's reading the Bible and he's showing you the way through Scripture, you look at what that Scripture has to say. It's just like Romans chapter 10 teaches about the necessity of preaching and teaching the Bible. So he says, brethren, I want to be an example to you. And note those who so walk. Look at those who are mature in the faith. Look at those that have that great faith. And follow their example, because you can have that too. You're not alone in this. And that's what people need to understand. Especially in a world where we, we know there's troubles. We know that brethren have troubles. <laughs> you know, we're not immune to those things. But we lean on each other, and we have a greater goal in our lives of following the Lord. Well, a few other verses let's get to real quickly. Verse 18. He shows the opposite side of this and the things that are a detriment to being conformed to Jesus Christ. For many walk, of whom I tell you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. There were a lot of things even in the days of, you know, 2,000 years ago, the Bible times as we call it, of people that were leading people astray from Christ, false doctrines, false teachings, and many of them in the name of religion. You know, it's one thing to see the sins of the world, but it's another thing, and it takes a little bit more finesse, wisdom, and understanding to be able to spot those that lead people astray under the guise of religion. And so we have to be careful. Again, we have a great responsibility toward this, this word, the book we call the Bible. And he says, I've told you, I've warned you, in other words. I've admonished you. Let's look at verse 19, because uh, he shows where this is going. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. I think we're all familiar with Colossians chapter 3, 1 and following. They talk about setting your mind on things above, not of things of the earth. What is our goal in this life? Sometimes we judge our faith based upon human standards and not standards of godliness. It's about getting ahead in this life. I mean, how many times do churches compete to get the best preacher, you know, the, the biggest building, the physical things in life, and they want to just talk about, and if I may say, brag about all the things that they do, whereas people's souls are being lost all around them. They seem like good workers. You know, the Revelation talks about this in looking at the various churches in Asia where there were some who seemed to be good workers. In the eyes of men, they just seemed to have everything. But you look a little bit deeper and you see there's a great lacking of faith. There's a nonconformity to Jesus Christ. There's conformity to worldly expectations. Let's look at where our real hope lies. In verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the goal of getting to heaven. Okay? It's not about perfection here on this earth. It's about being complete in Him so that we can have a home in heaven with Him someday. And I like to say, if you want to get there someday, then you need to, you need to be living like you're there now. And what I mean by that is in your modesty, your propriety in this life, praise, worship, singing, all of these things are things we must do now. It's like when you talk about singing, there are people that actually say, well, I'm not a good singer. I don't sing. I just listen. What do you think you're going to be doing in heaven? You know, it's not going to be a free concert for you. 
I believe truly we're going to be participants in heaven of giving praise, honor, and glory to God. What we're doing now is just a prelude to those wonderful things that I think we'll have someday. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 11 says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Behave while you're here like a godly person so they can truly enjoy that godliness one day. And finally, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. We know there's a day of judgment coming. And I believe, yeah, that's, that's what he's talking about here. But I believe that also the implication is that conformity begins now. We're here in this lowly fleshly body. I can only do so much. But spiritually, emotionally, I need to be giving my all unto the Lord. My thoughts, what I do, what I do in this flesh is a reflection of what I believe in my heart, what I believe in my mind, what I believe spiritually. Again, we must be conformed to Christ to be conformed to his body. What is his body? His, his body is a spiritual body, but many times the Bible talks about his body as the church. And so we have a conformity. Church, being a member of the Lord's body is not just, it's an individual responsibility, but it's not an individual identification. We must identify ourselves as the Lord's people. When you identify yourself as something, you practice as that something. You live as that something. You cannot say you're a Christian and not follow the ways of Jesus Christ and not be a part of his body. Do you want to be part of that kingdom? How can we help you? Please reach out. You can email me, chriskramer11 at gmail.com. I'd be happy to talk to you about any of these things in more detail. We're out of time for today, but let's get into chapter 4 in our next study, and we'll see you next time on Truth and Reason. Jesus come into your life, the joy of salvation to you he would bring. Come into the sunlight and walk with